0: Listener Production. Hi, I'm Helen McCabe, founder of Future Women, a club helping women to connect, learn and lead. Over my career, I've run teams inside newspapers, edited a magazine and launched my own business. This has meant building a team from scratch, leading through difficult times and managing the odd crisis. I've never had any leadership training because I thought you were either good at leading or you weren't. I thought being decisive was a key metric for success. I was wrong and it led me to make simple but avoidable mistakes. In this series, I'm doing what I should have done years ago, reaching out to people who I admire, who have also successfully run teams across all types of industries. So I can ask their advice on some of the common leadership challenges. The first speaker is Ellie DiMarchella, a passionate disability rights campaigner who is dedicated to making a difference for the one in five Australians living with a disability. Her powerful speech challenged us all to ask if we're doing enough to make our workplaces and social circles inclusive, exposing the inherent biases many of us hold. Now, just a warning, there's references to sexual assault and abuse of people living with a disability. If this is triggering for you, there's help available. Head to our show notes for more information. Here's
1: Ellie. 71% of people with disability will report being abused suffering from violence or neglected at some point in their life. 90% of women with intellectual disabilities will be sexually assaulted in their lifetime, 90%. Only 40% of students with disability will complete secondary school compared to students without disability at 75%. And the unemployment rate in this country for people with disability is double that of the national average. And it hasn't changed in 31 years. Look, I'm not very good at numbers. I'm a storyteller, not a mathematician. But those numbers are different. They tell a story all on their own. Those are the numbers that keep me awake at night because those are the numbers I want to accelerate to change. Those are the numbers stopping people with disability reaching full equality in this country. And while those numbers are horrifying, what is still more horrifying is when you put a face, a person, a friend to those numbers. A face like mine because those numbers impact my life. So I want to be truly honest with you. In this country, we treat people with disability like rubbish. We send disabled people to segregated workplaces, segregated housing, segregated education, segregated community activities. It's almost like we'd rather not have disabled people around it's easier to have us over there with only our people segregated. Now, if I was to ask you if that was true, if you believe that people with disability should be segregated, I bet most of you would say, not me. I believe in inclusion and equality." In Hello, you're at a Future Women conference. You're seriously in the wrong place if you don't believe in equality. But here's the truth. You are part of the problem. Now, I'm sure that sounds like a quick way to lose an audience, but the hard truth is if we're going to accelerate change, we need to start by being truly honest with ourselves. One in five Australians have a disability. So if you work somewhere with more than five employees, and none identify as disabled, have you asked why? And employing people with disability can't just mean giving us the most entry level role. When I was a senior advisor to the deputy premier of Queensland, I was literally asked by a member of the public if I was there as part of a charity program to, and I quote, lick envelopes. People assume so little of my capacity that they couldn't think of me in a role beyond stuffing mail. If you have more than five friends and none are disabled, why does your group discriminate? If your monthly book club has 10 members and not a single disability in sight, again, what's going on? Because if you're, again, being truly honest with yourself and looking across your life, can you find a person with disability who is your equal? A friend, a colleague, another mum at the park? Because if not, it appears, however unintentionally, you have segregated your life from people with disability. And there is only one way we're going to change the statistics I started my speech with, and that's by ending segregation in all its forms. Let me say that bit again because it's really important. The only way we are going to create true equality for people with disability is by ending segregation in all its forms. Now, that's going to mean huge systemic changes, changes to laws, complete shifts in industries, um, shaking up systems that have only ever done things one way. Those systemic changes are going to be driven by people with disability working in collaboration with government and other stakeholders to map out transition plans over many years. That work is hard and it is slow, but you can make a change happen today, a different kind of change, cultural change. I'm asking you to find a part of your life where you are going to intentionally open up and invite a disabled person in. I'm not asking you to change laws, rally outside MPs' offices or bulldoze segregated housing, although that would be kind of fun. I'm simply asking you to break down the barriers in your life because if we can break down the barriers in your life, we can break down the barriers in one street. And if we can break down the barriers in one street, We can change one city. And if we can change one city, there's absolutely nothing stopping us from changing a state. And if we can change a state, we are going to change this country for people with disability once and for all. So to paraphrase one of my heroes, you might know him, Barack Obama, are you fired up to create some change? Are you ready to go? because it's you who can create the change that people with disability in this country need. And this time, we're counting on you. Thank you.
0: Ellie is definitely a leader to watch. Our next speaker is Padma Raman. Padma is the CEO of Australia's National Research Organisation for Women's Safety and former Chief Executive of the Australian Human Rights Commission. As leaders, we all strive to foster inclusion, but where are our blind
2: spots? Here's Padma. Thank you. You can't be what you can't see. That's such a cliche, I know, but it holds true, especially for women underrepresented in positions of power like immigrant and First Nations women. The Diversity Council found that if ASX directors were 100 people, two of those would be women from culturally diverse backgrounds, six would be Anglo-Celtic women, 28 would be culturally diverse men, and 64 would be Anglo-Celtic men. And note that culturally diverse there includes people from European backgrounds and note that there are no Aboriginal men or women in that mix. While this is a stark reality for ASX directors, The figures that we know of, and there aren't very many figures, are similarly bleak for culturally diverse and Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander women in leadership in Australia. Why am I talking to you about the lack of cultural diversity in senior roles and even so for women from culturally diverse or First Nations background in a practical session about leadership? Because being from a marginalised community of women is different and there is a little tip in there as well. So just last week, I got a lovely email over LinkedIn, a message over LinkedIn, by a young woman who was in a supporting role in an organisation where I sit on one of their committees, and she wrote to say how excited she'd get before each committee meeting that happened over Zoom just to be able to see me because she doesn't see people like me, who she looks like, in senior positions of power. And it gave her a great sense of optimism for her future. I was so struck by her message that I responded and I'm soon going to have coffee with her to talk about her career. So it takes a bit of courage to make that cold call or contact that person when you feel that connection, but it's worth a shot. By and large, especially people who've had a tough ride to get to leadership positions will always respond and will want to help. There are many things I've learned along the way of being in leadership roles. You see, I did everything very young. I started university at 16 and my life has been full of doing things very, very young, largely because I've been lucky enough to have people making decisions who didn't see gender or my race as inhibitors to my leadership. So I have been extremely lucky, but I also learned to code switch very early. I knew what was expected of me as a South Asian migrant young person, how to be in my lane and when I could move out of it. When I arrived in Australia at 11, Within a couple of months, I spoke two versions of English. One strongly accented Queensland English, which I spoke to my friends over the telephone all night, as you did as an 11-year-old, and I'd quickly switch to my Tamil English with my family. I didn't even know I was doing it. I also learnt a lot about being a young migrant as an 11-year-old moving to Australia. I found and bought our first house. I negotiated a... Various bureaucracies for my family, skills in resilience and adaptation that are priceless. For example, I told you I was very young for everything I did, but I never told everyone, anyone, how old I was. Not on my CV, and when I was asked about it, I'd be vague. It's helpful looking different because people find it hard to place you in terms of age. I'm not saying you should do this. Please don't be like me and be proud of who you are, whatever age, and remember you can and are always contributing. It was only when I hit 50 last year that I no longer felt like an imposter, something women from all backgrounds suffer from. So my lesson is to fight against the natural instinct to feel like an imposter as a woman. Our whole society tells us there are things we're good at and that doesn't necessarily translate to the world of work and male leadership, even though work is what we've excelled at since time. The most important thing I've learned to manage teams and to be a good leader is authenticity. I think I've done best when my teams know that I'm genuine, authentic, strongly principled and values-based, and that translates to how I manage and lead. It is okay and important to be vulnerable, but to accept that you're in a position of power. So to use your vulnerability to learn and lead authentically without putting pressure on your staff to deal with your vulnerability. Always take responsibility and always, always give credit even for the smallest thing. Never take other people's ideas, always give credit. Ultimately, for me, it's about having a framework. Mine was always about human rights, practicing that in every interaction. Eleanor Roosevelt wrote the Universal Declaration on Human Rights at the end of the Second World War, when the UN was created. And it starts with this deep recognition of the inherent dignity of all humans. To translate that into practice is being vigilant about people's rights being respected at work. If, as a manager or leader, that means having difficult conversations with people, don't shy away from it. Recognising the inherent dignity in all people requires honest and genuine feedback, with a deep understanding that we're all capable of change and giving respectful feedback is a part of recognising that people continue to grow and change with the appropriate support. As women, You may choose to have a family. And if you want to have a career as a leader, choose your partners wisely. Make sure you're with someone who shares your values and is happy for you to shine and share in the journey of juggling work and life. There is no way I could have had the career I've had without my partner stepping up and looking after our children when needed.
0: This podcast was recorded on the land of the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation. We pay our respects to elders past and present. Executive producer is Jennifer Goggin, series producer is Holly Mitchell, and audio imaging by Nat Marshall.